Modern. 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 We're prepping for a voyage. Modern. The force of an old-fashioned equals whiskey mass times bitters acceleration. Why don't you make that a double? Modern Bar Cart. What's shaking, cocktail fans? Welcome back to another episode of the Modern Bar Cart Podcast. I'm your host, Modern Bar Cart CEO, Eric Koslick. Thanks for joining me for another great interview episode where we corner some of the finest minds in the spirits and cocktail world and pretty much just refuse to let them go about their day until they share some of their wisdom with all of you. This week, we've got an episode from the Modern Bar Cart West Coast Road Trip featuring spirits expert Pedro Shanahan from 213 Hospitality and the Seven Grand Whiskey Bar in Los Angeles, California. He also runs the Seven Grand Whiskey Society, Las Perlas Mezcal Collective, and the Rum Society at Kanya Rum Bar. And kind of as a result of all that, he is the host of the Spirit Guide Society podcast, where you can listen to all of the amazing tastings they run at all three of the bars I just mentioned. This is a really special conversation, and Pedro is truly a master of facilitating conversations about flavor and process and the art of distilling and blending. But before we get too far ahead of ourselves here, why don't you take this opportunity to make yourself a drink? To go along with the spirits we taste through later in this show, this episode's featured cocktail is the Whiskey Highball a simple, beautiful mixed drink that really allows the whiskey to be the star of the show. To make a whiskey highball, you need two to two and a half ounces of your favorite whiskey, four to six ounces of sparkling or seltzer water, don't use tonic, tonic's no good, and really all you gotta do to make this drink is uh, build it in a Collins or highball glass with ice. And what that means is you add the whiskey first and then the sparkling water. And the only thing you really need to do to mix things together is give it a couple gentle stirs. Now, the Japanese actually have a ritual that involves stirring a Japanese whiskey highball precisely 13 times before serving. But that's just kind of a side thing. You really just need to give it a couple quick times around the glass to make it work. Garnishes aren't commonly employed with this kind of cocktail, but hey, if you think a citrus twist or some other garnish is gonna enhance the experience, I say, go for it. What you'll find as you experiment with whiskey highballs is that you'll get to know your whiskey in a completely different way. We've all heard that adding a bit of water to your whiskey opens it up, aromatically speaking, but adding lots of water with bubbles is gonna transform the entire experience. So it's just another way to look at your whiskey. You can make whiskey highballs with anything under the sun, bourbon, rye, Irish whiskey, Canadian whiskey, scotch, and just about everything in between. Now, you might not want to use the most expensive bottle on your shelf, but I'm also not going to be the one of those folks who tells you not to use nice whiskey in your highballs. You do you, and if you find a recipe that's particularly delicious, please snap a picture and tag us on Instagram or Facebook at Modern Bar Cart. And now back to our interview with spirit guide, Pedro Shanahan. Some of the things we cover in this bourbon punctuated conversation about flavor and hospitality include how a yoga teaching actor with an improv background harnessed his creative powers to help build one of LA's most exciting and revered spirits and cocktail programs. Why the Seven Grand Whiskey Society was formed and what sorts of people turn out week after week to sample beautiful spirits from the U.S. and abroad. Pedro's unique approach to leading people of all experience levels through the complex and heady world of flavor. How to comparatively taste whiskeys with an eye toward how those spirits were created and which production or aging methods might be responsible for the flavors in the glass. Deep thoughts about hospitality, flavor architecture, and raisin bread, and much, much more. As a companion to this episode, launching a couple days after the show goes live, we are going to cross-publish an episode of the Spirit Guide Society podcast to give you a sense of what Pedro and his team are up to during the spirits tastings that they host. 
I highly recommend that you don't wait for us to publish that episode to check them out. And if you really like what you hear, and I promise you will, you should hit subscribe. The Spirit Guide Society podcast is like a multivitamin for your brain. It's my weekly dose of putting myself in a room with folks who are just so much more knowledgeable than I am. I promise you're going to love it. And with that, it's my pleasure to get out of the way here and let you enjoy this awesome conversation with spirits expert, Pedro Shanahan. Pedro, thanks for being on the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. So could you just begin by introducing yourself and uh, explaining to our listeners how you got to have the really cool title of spirit guide that that you have today? (laughs) Okay. Well, first of all, my name is Pedro Shanahan. And second of all, the the title of Spirit Guide was originally given to me with the tongue firmly inserted in one's cheek. Okay. So <laughs> the joke was that uh, I teach yoga too. And so these guys saw me working late at night and then getting up early and teaching yoga and then showing up to, you know, taking the inventory here. And they just found it slightly controversial and funny at the same time. So when they uh, gave me the title, it was with the idea that it was a, a bit of a, a joke going on there because uh, I can heal you from the yoga with the whiskey or I can heal you from the whiskey with the yoga, whatever you need today. Ah, very nice. Very nice. So uh, where are we right now? Explain it uh, to the listeners. Well, we're sitting in the Bar Jackalope, which is our little sipping library located in the back of Seven Grand Whiskey Bar in downtown Los Angeles, located on 7th and Grand. When we opened this bar 12 years ago, this was part of Skid Row, and we were the only business open after 6 p.m. on this entire block. Now, 12 years later, they call this stretch the 7th Street Corridor, Uh, the revitalization, the renovation of downtown Los Angeles has sprung up really in the last 10 years. And we were one of the first kind of anchor properties to be down here and kind of roughing it out and showing people that it was okay to brave it and try to start up a business. And people, you know, when said Moses, our chief proprietor opened up a whiskey bar, something that was really just going to focus on that single spirit. I'm sure a lot of people thought he was crazy, but things have worked out extremely well for us. And then five years ago, we opened up this back bar here called the Bar Jackalope, which is modeled after the Japanese style, what they call shop bars in Tokyo and Osaka and Kyoto. And those bars are meant to implement uh, omotenashi, the Japanese form of hospitality, which is geared to be the most exquisite level of hospitality that one can give to another. Uh, that's where the Japanese tea ceremony comes from, this this idea that there's a ritualism that makes things more special when you treat people with this kind of a true presence in the moment and an appreciation of your place in nature that uh, it engages the possibility for an unforgettable experience to occur. They have a saying in Japan called Ichigo Ichie. And that means uh, this one time, meaning that if you and I are walking and we cross a bridge, you're going one direction and the other, and we meet each other on this bridge and we greet each other and we have a conversation, we don't know that that might be the only interaction we will ever share. And so with that preciousness in mind, we must treat each other accordingly. And if we treat each other with the idea that this may only happen once, it changes the way that we are toward one another. I get it. So there's like an intimacy and a precision. Precision. And of course, (laughs) we live in California. Uh, We don't live in Tokyo. So coming here and trying to emulate that high model of hospitality, we had to make adjustments as we went because people don't come walking into a bar and just suddenly know what you mean when you say this is a Japanese style shot bar that, you know, to them a shot bar is where you do shots and that's not what's happening at all. It's a place to really sip and linger and try to get a better appreciation of your own senses and really unplug from the technological distractions, the ubiquitous cell phone and all those things that we tend to 
disconnect from each other with all the time now and share a moment that is true and, and fully present and fully mindful of the fact that this is your life and you need to enjoy it every single moment you can. Yeah. Well, the room is really nicely set up for that. It's, it's extremely intimate, very cozy, um, but also has a, a bit of formality to it with uh, some of the wood, some of the leather that kind of almost like when I walked in, I was like, wow, look at all this whiskey. Time to be serious about whiskey. Well, we actually have always approached it with a sense of juxtaposition, knowing that we are in Los Angeles, which is one of the most cosmopolitan cities in the world. We have, uh, you know, people from all different ways of lives and different countries who have immigrated here and have made Los Angeles their home. And Los Angeles is truly this amazing patchwork of the, the globe and we knew that coming in with this kind of like old Irish huntsman's club decor that it might be slightly alienating for some people. They might walk in here and be like, I don't know this world. This is not my world. But we've always had the approach that it is your world and we are the ones who are going to level the playing field for you by offering free information by being a library where an institution where people can come and gain knowledge and the knowledge is free. You just have to pay for your spirits. Yeah. Uh, then that enables people to have a, a deeper understanding of the history and the sense of place within all these bottles, but also their own history and their own sense of place and that they do belong here and that they can know about all of this. Yeah. Well, this is an amazing place. I'm really grateful to be here with you. Um, we're about to taste in a, in a couple minutes here some really cool spirits and, and go through your unique approach to tasting. Um, we're going to talk about the Whiskey Society, which is an amazing educational initiative that that you spearhead here uh, at the Seven Grand. Um, but first, I just wanted to ask, how did you get into bartending or hospitality in the first place? Well, in Los Angeles, another word for working in hospitality is to say I'm an actor. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's a really sad joke. Um, no, the 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 rule of life for actors in Los Angeles often is that they have to hold down a waiting job, and hospitality becomes the job that will allow them a certain amount of flexibility so that they can pursue their artistic passions. And that is something that's why I moved to Los Angeles. I'm an actor and a musician, and uh, I just sought to deepen my own understanding of spirits as a way to make myself more valuable to the businesses that, you know, that I work for so that I could be afforded the flexibility that if I book a role and I have to step away for a month or six weeks or what have you, that I can still have a job when I'm done. Because the reality is for a lot of actors, it's not continuous work. And, and often for vast expanses of your career, you might not have steady work at all. And mm -hmm. so you need to have a job and you need to have a job that, uh, you know, will not only pay your bills, but hopefully keep you engaged intellectually. Because as an actor and as an artist, you need to be an interesting person, first and foremost, and growing as a human being in order to be inspirational to others. If you're not inspirational to yourself, then how, why would anyone want to watch or hear from anything that you were doing? Yeah, you need that spark. Otherwise, it's just sort of uh, you're just a replica of whatever else is out there. Mm-hmm. So talk to me about the genesis of the Whiskey Society. Um, when did you identify uh, this serious need for education and how did you go about forming and like creating this community? We started the Whiskey Society when the bar first started. It's just a way to kind of bring more people in the door and, and create a, an interest group that people could, you know, we want the idea behind all of these societies, of course, is that we're providing a community hub. It's about that, that neighborhood forum in which people can find their voice and express themselves. And, and specifically within the world of smelling and tasting, it's really easy to have blind spots within your own palate, like things that you recognize, smells or tastes that you recognize very easily, and then other things that seem very evasive to you. When you try to figure out what it is, you can sit there with your nose in the glass and be very confused. So it's fun to do it in a group situation because someone else might not have your blind spot. In fact, they probably do not. And so the things that are easy for you might inspire other people 
as something that's very different from their own senses and vice versa. They may say something to you that rings a bell so clearly and reminds you that, oh, yes, that's what I was searching for. But you would have never been able to pick it up unless they had mentioned it. And so having that community forum, a place where people can come together, it adds value to our experience in the bar. You know, what we're trying to do is make unforgettable nights for people. And, uh, you know, we're adults. Uh, we want to have a little education with our fun. Yeah, totally. And I, I love what you're saying about the blind spot because so many of the flavor notes that we identify in a whiskey, for example, are metaphors. There's no dried fruit in your whiskey. It's not like they stick a bunch of dried fruit in the barrel. That's a, That's a metaphor. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. Then it's not whiskey. Um, so if you're drawing on your specific bank of food memories, uh, there were just certain things you didn't have when you were growing up. There are certain things your parents didn't cook you. You didn't go out to eat at certain different places. And, and yeah, so it, it's really great to have uh, other folks there to kind of almost crowdsource the uh, overall flavor impression of, of the spirit. So that's, that's a really interesting point. I think a really um, great case for our listeners to, to see if they can maybe go out and uh, find some, some resources uh, similar to the, the Whiskey Society near them. Can you talk a little bit more about the types of people who attend, like whether they're mostly industry or you have like a smattering of enthusiasts uh, and then maybe um, talk about the guests that come in as well? Sure. Well, we certainly get a certain amount of industry folks in because we encourage that even uh, within our own bar family. It's free for all of our, you know, anyone who's associated in the bars that we own can always come to our tastings for free. But we extend that same hospitality to the anyone in the, in the bar industry, really other bartenders from other bars are totally welcome to be our guests for these things too. Cause we believe that, you know, a rising tide rises, raises all boats. Right. And so the idea that the education should be for everyone. If, if we're not, we're not trying to hoard information. We want the information to be shared so that everyone is better behind the bar at educating their guests on the origin of these different spirits. So that part we, we really, really push. We want this, the podcast and the societies themselves to be an asset to people in the bar community. But most of who come to our society events are just people who love the spirits, you know, groups of women who are out after work or some guys that have a big mezcal collection at home and they want to come try something new. You know, it's, it tends to be groups of people who just want to know more for building up their own home bar. You know, it's it's something for the public. But that being said, it's it's interesting to see. I think you might come along tonight for we're going to do whiskey side and then we have rum side. So we have two events back to back tonight, which means we'll be here at Seven Grand. Uh, we'll do the whiskey society and an hour and a half later. We'll stroll over to Kanya yeah. and do rum society over there. But you'll see that there's different personalities to these different groups because the spirits themselves are different and they have their own draw and they draw a certain type of person, people who uh, go to Rum Society, for instance, you'll see when we get out to the patio to do the Rum Society tonight, there's going to be people already lighting up their cigars. They're, <sighs> they're not treating it like, oh, excuse me, my smoke's getting in your glass. They could care less. They're there to have a good time. They love to learn about rum, but they're not so precious about the whole thing. They'll, sure. they'll talk over you as you're giving the presentation. And if I was going to let that bother me, then, uh, you know, that's, that's a battle that would be continuous and exhausting. So uh, I just try to keep it fun for everybody. I try to maintain people's attention and keep people engaged as much as I can. But, yeah, the crowds can be very different. The Whiskey Society, the folks who show up can – tend to be a little bit more studious. People take notes sometimes. Um, some people have like very elaborate notes that they take compared to, comparing uh, tastings to ones in the past or certain categories. They might have part of their notebook, which is just for single malt scotches, another part that's just for bourbons and rye. And they're, so they're taking note as they go along. And that's, you know, someone really going deep with that thing. But each each crowd is different. So it's it's interesting to see 
how the different spirits attract different groups. Yes, most certainly. And you definitely get that from the recordings. And one thing that we haven't mentioned, I'll probably mention it to the in, in the intro to this, but you actually record all of these sessions and then post them uh, as podcast episodes for everyone to enjoy. So not only is the Whiskey Society free for you know the industry folks here in LA who want to educate themselves, but anybody who has a smartphone can listen in on these awesome events. Oh yeah, we have several subscribers in Korea, which makes me extremely happy. That's fantastic. Yeah. So what we're going to be doing is, is, uh, you know, throwing a little bit of love your way and, uh, hopefully doing almost like a little, um, little subscriber swap here as we, uh, kind of East coast, West coast audiences. I love and, it. Yeah. I love that idea. We're, we're new to the game. We've only been out for a couple months. Uh, we release two podcasts a week, but I, for one, am completely lost in terms of how to build an audience in the podcast world. We're figuring this out as we go along. And so meeting you guys and hearing your podcast, we're definitely inspired to kind of, you know, swap some content and see if we can draw on each other's audiences and help mutually build both Ab audiences. Absolutely. And you know what? It's um it's funny because there's this awesome uh story that I like to tell about when I first took the leap into podcasting. And hopefully this will make you feel a little bit better. I went to this, like, it was one of these hip indie collectives where it's like almost like a Gimlet Media, but a little bit like local to DC. And I went there because I wanted to ask these people who have podcasts, like how to do it. And I, I spoke to this woman who had a podcast and she asked me, oh, you know, how often are you thinking about publishing? And I said, oh, you know, once a week, you know, just keep it regular, um, keep it consistent. And she basically turned to me, put her hand on my shoulder and said, oh, honey, it can't be done. And, you know, here we are a year and a half, almost two years later, we've done it. And here you are publishing two episodes a week of consistently really high quality content. So, Well, I appreciate that. We are definitely, it's a, it's a team that makes this thing happen. Stephanie Aguilar is my co-curator with all the societies. She works with me here at the Bar Jack Club. She's brilliant and helps me schedule all of these uh, events. And then Andrew Apple and Andrew Abrahamson make sure that this, I mean, Andrew Apple actually does all the editing and recording and it's just huge, huge amount of work. So it, it takes a lot of effort from many directions to make it all happen, but it can be done. It can be. And for anybody, any audio snobs out there who tend to turn their nose up at live recordings because live recordings are inherently difficult, your podcast, The Spirit Guide Society, is like, one of the best like way to go, Andrew, for like controlling mm -hmm. that the chaos of live recording. So it's actually very <laughs> listenable. Like even if we, you're we pulled on a the lot of hair out of our heads <laughs> over those kind of issues. We've already been through several microphones and yes, it's it's been a steep learning curve. But we're we're happy that you guys enjoy it and we, we are gonna continue to do at least two a week and yeah. who knows what happens as we build. Fantastic. Well, I want to do uh, a couple of more in-depth things here, actually yeah. work with some flavors. Oh, yeah, let's um, do it. I'm going to preface this by saying one of the things that I really enjoy about your podcast is the way that you guide people as a spirit guide through, through the tasting process. And I, I think it's incredibly thorough, and it definitely helps that you're such an expert on all of the means of production for these spirits, because when, when you taste the spirits and, and knows the spirits, you're not only allowing these um, kind of like brand reps for, for these, these brands who are tasting through the portfolio to kind of give you the high notes, but you're almost pushing them a little bit to elaborate on some of the processes that might explain why those flavors are there in the glass. And I find that as a really great back and forth. Um, so can you just give our listeners an overview of, of what makes to you a good tasting? And then maybe we can uh, do a couple examples here on, on the air. Sure. Well, one thing that we like to do in the Bar Jack Club a lot are blind tastings so that you kind of take all the preconceived notions about the spirits out of the game. And that's really, really fun and very educational. If you don't look at the bottles, you don't know what you're sipping on, you really just go slow with the way that you smell and then taste the spirits, it can be really enlightening to your own abilities and your own uh, proclivities when it comes to certain essences uh, or your ability to detect things and getting deeper in your ability to recognize uh, you know, what comes easy, what things you really, really like, 
you know, getting more clear about knowing yourself, essentially, like, I like sweet things or I don't like sweet things. You sure. know, just that kind of knowledge is really, really cool. So we've got a, a, a couple of whiskeys right next to us here. These are uh, Makers 46. Now, a couple of years ago at Makers, they started doing an experimental um, program in which they allow you to take up to 10 of these French oak staves. That so Makers Forty Six. The standard expression is Makers Mark. That's aged for an additional six months, I believe, uh, with some French oak staves in the barrel. Now French oak is a you know a wider grain wood, and they they toast these French oak staves, place them in there, and it imparts a, a rich, buttery kind of brown butter, black walnut, mm-hmm. dark cherry essence. To the whiskey. It's just a beautiful way to finish without having to dump the whole thing in a, in a French oak sure. barrel. Yeah. Um, so, but if you, they started this experimental program in which they, you could come in and they had five different kinds of staves, different French oak staves that have been treated in different ways. Like one was uh, used to store cuvee wine in and another was toasted really, really fast in an in oven for a very short amount of time. And another one was toasted really slow for a long amount of time just to see how those different cooking messes essentially for these woods would create different flavors. Right. And then in the lab, they had kind of these isolates. So beakers of whiskey that had been soaked with these individual staves. And then you could figure out like, I want two of this kind of stave and three of these others. And they would know on, in terms of these beakers, how many milliliters of each it would take to create that kind of an estimated balance that right, you're right, seeking, right. not knowing for sure what the end product would be like, because that's the romance of the rack house. You can never predict what's going to come out of the barrel. That's why we love it. But this particular day, we went in there with a crew of 13 of our bartenders from here at Seven Grand and Seven Grand in San Diego and the Seven Grand in Austin, and we split up. And we uh, tried to create a summer expression using these up to 10 different staves and a winter expression of bourbons. Now, with the summer expression, we were trying to go for like stone fruit and floral notes, which is really, really hard to achieve with wood. Normally, those kind of fruity or floral essences are probably going to come more from the fermentation than from the maturation. But uh, with the winter, we were going for something more like chocolatey, fruitcake, baking spices, right. something that, like the kind of whiskey you want to curl up next to the fire with. So two very, very different kind of objectives in mind here by the two teams. And these are the two whiskeys we came up with. But they're very, very complex for bourbons. And they're they're um, lofty in proof. So I encourage you to sip a little water. Yeah, we're going to get these but, right on the table here. So here's uh, – this is the summer. Oh, cheers. Cheers. Thank you. And so the way – I mean we talk about – how to smell a whiskey. It's not like smelling wine or beer. It's much higher proof. So if you stick your nose in a glass of beer and smell it, you can get at those nice esters and those fruity notes. And it's really, really easy. It might be harder. Sometimes when people stick their nose in a glass of booze, they're like, I smell fire. Right. Well, nobody wants to smell fire. And you're not wrong. That fire is alcohol. You're just going too fast. Right. So by sticking your nose in the glass and breathing gently through your mouth, it helps like cool the alcohol vapor across the back of your palate gets into that retronasal area and hopefully allows you to get at some of those food words. But it doesn't have to be a food work. It could be a color. It could be a memory of a place. And all those things are correct. And all those things can enrich an experience. So we encourage it all. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's interesting. Uh, I have a background in, in writing. And so sometimes when I think about tasting notes, I think about nouns, verbs, and adjectives. Oh, that's cool. Um, so if you're thinking about, you know, fruit notes, you know, fig is a noun, viscous is an adjective and the way that it evolves on the palate as it moves through the different portions of your, you know, um, you know, olfactory and, and, um, taste system is kind of movement. So there's, there's mm-hmm. some verby stuff going on there as well. That's really interesting. So, uh, we talk about sometimes, uh, like for instance, a lot of times when you ask people to taste whiskey for the first time or any spirit, they'll tell you that it's strong or smooth. Almost always people say, I like this. This is smooth. But smooth isn't really a flavor. It's a texture. So I always like to try to challenge people to think about the texture that they're getting and also architecture. You talk about movement. 
but think of it as a bridge. Uh, the bridge has a beginning, middle, and end. And if there's slats missing in that bridge, you're going to notice it. If there's a drop-off in the arc of the flavor profile, you'll notice it. And maybe that's not the whiskey for you. Maybe that whiskey is immature. Maybe for whatever. I mean, you can like or dislike any spirit for whatever reason you want. There's no wrong answer. But it's just interesting to take note of both architecture and texture in the tasting experience to better wrap your head around what you like. Right. So let's talk about this summer expression here. Um, I am getting, when I first just get the, like the main kind of like primary nose of it, I get like almost like a untoasted almond, Mm -hmm. which is really nice. And the fruit is almost like an apricot-y style fruit as opposed to something more like a juicy peach or a nectarine for me. Yeah. That's definitely what we're trying to get at where some of those big stone fruit, but I think apricot is the one that kind of comes across most obviously. It's got a lot of oak on it. It's really, really hard to create those fruity notes with charred French oak. But um, I, for me, I get like a graham cracker thing going yeah, on. Yeah, totally, which is a weeded, a weeded bourbon thing a little bit more so than a, you know, well, like a high what rye. What makes graham crackers graham crackers is – molasses in the flour so it's actually ah. it's a molasses biscuit okay as they there would say go. in scotland they don't have graham crackers and i try <laughs> to explain what is they're like oh you're speaking of a molasses biscuit yeah <laughs> all right so let's uh let's get the palate of this mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. now i have to spit because i've got two events and this is 120 proof so we have to pace okay. ourselves here and 120 proof, 60% for, for listeners out there. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. But really, really, really nice. You, for me, I get like a I'm – there's a little bit of like a marzipan thing going mm-hmm. on here, like a, that almond candy going on. There's a beautiful sweetness. Uh, I'm getting honey. And so the, the, the molasses biscuit goes aside and I get much deeper into those honey notes, almost like honeysuckle. So for yep. me – Mm-hmm. They really nailed it when they did this because I, I get like honeysuckle and apricot and it's like that's pretty amazing for a bourbon to hold up those kind of light summery kind of essences. It really does. And the the honey seems to darken as the finish proceeds. So it goes from like a honeysuckle to like an orange blossom honey to a tupelo honey type deal as, as it finishes. And even that charred rind, that orange zest that people like to – in the bohemian style of making a old-fashioned, they'll like to – kind of light the zest on fire before they drop in their glass. You get a little of that in totally. there too, I think. Totally. And one of the things that's very remarkable about this to me is that it's 60%. <laughs> one does not simply, you know, sip on something that's 60% most of the time. To put it in perspective, chartreuse is 50, green chartreuse is 55. And that's like a, a noteworthy thing in, in, in the spirits world in and of itself. There's some cask strength bourbons out there that, that are, you know, in this, in this range, but, uh, I don't think I've ever come across a maker's 46. That's 60%. Well, in the big competitions, what you often see the stuff that wins like best bourbon in the world often is like George T. Stagg has won best bourbon in the world many times. And that stuff comes in at like 146 proof. Sometimes it'll vary a lot. But I think that's the challenge for a master distiller is can you create the most bang for the buck, meaning the most alcohol content that's still utterly sippable. When people sip this, hopefully that they don't notice the 120 proof. What they get are those like silky florals and that that kind of nice uh, soft apricot, that kind of the 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 fuzz on the skin, you know, mm-hmm. this beautiful texture. And that is – achieving a good whiskey in my mind when you can get in over 120 proof and the first thing that people comes out of people's mouth is not this is fire but something like this is fruity you know some right. that's the challenge is to make it a super high proof whiskey that's still utterly approachable to everyone that they right. don't notice that it's 120 proof or right and, we, proof. and it's been like two three minutes now and the finish is still there for mm-hmm. me which is uh, it's very remarkable especially with weeded bourbons too where i you know they tend to vanish a little bit more quickly than some of the high rye expressions so um this is really, really cool. I'd, I'd love to see what the winter is like Let's next do the to it. Right here. Yeah. So save a little bit of that expression so that you can compare, compare side a little by bit. side. Cheers. So and we're, uh, for listeners, we're 
sampling from these really nice tulip-shaped glasses and the effect that has is it focuses some of the aromatics upwards uh, from the belly of the glass up through the neck of it. And uh, extra reason, it, the glass is doing the focusing for us, so that's why we don't need to stick our noses right in there. Yeah, you can, and in fact, it, it, the tulip glass might be too intense for some people, so you're always welcome to kind of like blow into the glass or give yourself a little space don't want to like make your eyes water here the idea is to have fun and enjoy mm -hmm. and i'm automatically getting some of those chocolate notes mm -hmm. right off the bat almost like a like a tootsie roll style chocolate as opposed to like a cacao nib definitely definitely you've got tootsie roll i, I get like fruitcake I, I get like raisin bread in here you know like like a babka or what are they like a hot like a raisin hala that's closer but i think this is more of a whole grain than an egg bread okay i think this is a something with a little more uh integrity in the meal yeah you know not such a, a light something with more like uh there's nuts in this yeah in this dough okay i'm with you on well, that you know like a, a fruitcake fruitcake is such a terrible wrap but that's just because people were buying it and not making it for too long but it can be done really well if yeah. you want to take the time one thing i want to point out for our listeners is that uh, during this conversation, a really cool thing just happened. I gave a tasting note and then Pedro disagreed, kind of added onto it. Very much an improv thing, right? You have a, a bit of a background in improv. Yes. And yes. And right. So you said, yes, I took, yes, raisin bread. And I think it's more of a darker grain with some nuts in it as opposed to like the later egg based one. So and, and that, as you were explaining to me, it made more sense. So that's an example of you filling in some of those blind spots for me. And, and that's what people do for each other. And that's why humans can sometimes get along. Yeah, <laughs> especially <laughs> if there's whiskey involved. Uh, so let's take let's take a palate. Mm hmm. Mm. Damn, I love this whiskey. Wow. A little bit hotter in terms of the, the alcohol and the tongue for me than the summer expression. Mm-hmm. Wow. That is very complex. I'm getting some allspice as it kind of crackles toward the back of my tongue and kind of like almost falls down the sides of the back of the tongue there. Um, allspice... Uh, and that's fading into a little bit of white pepper, uh, mm. white pepper or, or mace for, for folks who haven't uh, tasted those side by side with black pepper. Very different experience. Mm -hmm. Speaking of which, so I just I just gave some somewhat esoteric tasting notes. How, how would you recommend for somebody who wants to start coming up with those specific tasting notes as opposed to something like fruity or sweet? How do you recommend that they learn how to do that? Well, there's a couple ways. I mean. First, just use your imagination because you've you've had a lot of interactions with a lot of different kind of fruits. So if someone says fruity, just ask them to go a little deeper. Okay, so is it a lemon, an orange, or a lime, or a grapefruit? Oh yeah. It, you know, or is it a is it a melon, or is it a cherry, or a strawberry, or is it a banana, or is it a, a kiwi? You know, is it a pineapple? Is it a charred pineapple? Is it a green apple or a red apple? I mean, we all know the differences to the things. You just have to think about it. It's like from the moment you were born, you've been accumulating your database and your hippocampus of your experiences of smells and tastes. No one can take that away from you. And it's totally unique to your experience on this planet. So we got to first just dive into your imagination and your memory. That being said, you can always just go down to – I like to – we do pallet trainings here for our staff. So I'll, I'll, I'll bust out like 20, 30, 40 little smell jars, buy a bunch of organic ingredients and just do it like that. So like we're going back to cooking class. Yep. So asking people to use these smell jars, again, blind and be able to identify, okay, that's allspice, that's cinnamon, that's black pepper, that's leather, that's wood, you know, Um we, we create that for our, our, our bar staff so they have a, a better understanding of their own palates and then can impart that same information to our guests. So hopefully deepen their experience as well. Yeah. 
This is this is really remarkable, and um, you know one of the things that I like about um, the whiskey society is that you have folks who come in and do tastings that are. Uh, this is like a micro tasting that we're doing right now because it's a side by side of two spirits. But usually you're doing three to five. Yeah, minimum of four marks for okay. the societies, and often many more. Right. Uh, we we are excited about the spirits. We encourage folks to be excited about it but often the brand ambassadors who come in are very excited to be here and we're very lucky for that enthusiasm but they'll sometimes come in with seven or eight marks or even more and so it can be a it can get quite heady uh, yes and uh, sometimes you're you're often able to get access to bottles that most people walking down the street would never come across in their entire lives right that's the fun because it's a true educational forum we ask people to you can you know kind of disassemble blends, for instance, kind of deconstruct. So you could say have a bourbon that was finished in a Cabernet cask and maybe that's never going to be sold as a standalone whiskey, but we'll be like, this is also blended in this other expressions just to start to wrap your head around how the master blender goes about doing their job. She might be tasting hundreds and hundreds of different barrels and then she has to figure out how to nuance them all together into a blend that's going to turn people on all over the world, you know? Right, right. And it's really cool to, to hear from the brand reps, the, the not only the, the stories, because they usually have funny stories, but also um, kind of the ethos that drives the brand to create spirits in the way that they do. And, um, you know, it's funny because oftentimes when I'm talking about tasting notes to people, I describe it as almost like tracking an animal, like using these little clues that are in the world around you to figure out, all right, where's it going? What was it doing? Why did it stop right here? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I find that you're, you do a good job coaxing that out of some of the brand reps by asking pointed questions about things like mash bill, maturation style, um, even things like, you know, the blending practices. And, um, you can like the, just the winding of that path is, is really valuable. And I think if there's for me as somebody who's interested in continuing to educate myself, I think that's the real drive that brings me to your podcast every week because I know that when I tune in, I'm going to learn a little bit more about, for example, today's episode, Irish whiskey. I learned a lot more about the history of why it's made the way it is. And I, it's, I just, I feel like I'm building step by step as I listen to it. So thank you for taking us through these two really cool expressions that you were Mm -hmm. able to put together for the bar. Um, do you have time for a couple quick lightning round questions? Sure. So we're a cocktail and home bartending podcast. So one of the lightning round questions I like to ask is, uh, what's your favorite cocktail? And if you don't have a favorite of all time, what's something you've been kind of obsessed with recently? My favorite cocktail is a beer and a shot, honestly. Okay. If, if you're going to push me into a singular cocktail, it would probably be a Manhattan. Okay. And and easy on everything but the whiskey. Yeah. Uh, Manhattan on the rocks, I, I can sip on, uh-huh. uh, but the, that'll get me there really quick. I prefer to just have a little sip some whiskey with the beer, kind of go back and forth between getting intense with the spirit and then cooling the palate with the beautiful beer. Sure. that's I'm a, I'm a simple man. Right now, Desert Island, what's your shot? What's your beer? Um, well, I live in a desert, so I'm not intimidated by the heat. Uh, I always <laughs> stick with... Um, we were very fortunate to have purchased a Russell's Reserve single barrel of rye last year. Oh, wow. and they've since discontinued that program. But that Russell's Reserve rye single barrel was undoubtedly one of the most amazing whiskeys. An incredible bang for the buck. Not expensive. No. But outrageously complex and beautiful and heats up your palate. And then you get a nice Mama's Yellow Pills from Oscar Blues oh, out yeah. in Colorado. Nice cold beer to cool that fire. Mm, that sounds delightful. Lovely. Yeah. Beautiful. Okay. Now down to some advice questions. Sure. Um, we like to try and give as many literary resources as we can. Um, I, I'm wondering if there's any books that you've come across either recently or when you were first getting started as a bartender that really helped you to develop your skills and to like get a big picture sense of what it means to work with spirits and cocktails. Oh yeah. We're, we have a very active reading program in our education program here. Um, I think I I walked in on a conversation about books. (laughs) Yeah. We were having a book meeting. We were talking about the power of moments, which is kind of geared toward business people and understanding, um, you know, how the effect of, or just kind of trying to understand what people remember from 
inexperience, you know, and knowing that you can kind of stop time and create a moment that will make it unforgettable for them. Uh, that's just one book. I, that's, I, I mean, we're, we have these microphones propped up on a yeah. bunch of the books off of our little bookshelf here in the Bar Jackwell. And this one right on top is amazing. This is Tasting Whiskey by Lou Bryson. Yeah. There's a lot of new publications that have been out for the, in the last 10 years that are absolutely changing the game in terms of uh, spirits education. Uh, another one here is uh, Fred Minnick, Whiskey Women. Uh, that book is so enlightening as to like – how whiskey has always been made and kind of just shreds the whole illusion of this like elitist marketing that everyone tends to gravitate toward like to create their prestige products they must create a kind of a, a class war of sorts and i'm completely and utterly against all of that i like to make all of these spirits accessible for everyone. If you're a latino kid from east la if you're an asian kid from the oc you have every right to be here too. This is America. This is what makes us great is our diversity and our differences. And so we use education as a way to bring people together to say, you know, we can educate each other and, and, and make the world a better place. So yeah, uh, tasting whiskey. Oh, imbibe yeah. by Dave Wondrich. That's a life changer for That's sure. A category defining text. <laughs> Michael Jackson's uh, Atlas is classic as well. I mean, there's so many good books out there right now. Uh, Jeffrey Morgenthaler uh, just recently came out with uh, Drinking Distilled, which is really kind of a lighthearted book in a way. Really? But it gives you just kind of an overview of like how to conduct yourself in the bar industry. And I think it's brilliant in its simplicity. Um, what was another one that I was – oh, Proof by Adam Rogers. That I'm in love with that book. And we use that as a textbook here. We also use uh, Tasting Whiskey as well as, as a textbook. And then, you know, Danny Meyer's book, Setting the Table. Just understanding from all different kind of points of view what we're trying to get into here. Um, personally, I think that moving forward, people in the bar industry, we really need to focus on wellness. Because mm -hmm. uh, people glamorize and romanticize this lifestyle. But we see that a lot of bartenders die young. And more than ever, I think we need to take care of each other more. Um, so, yeah, wellness is something that I think we need to write some books about or I would like to write some books about. And then also kind of soulful hospitality, not just enlightened hospitality, not just knowing, but how do you solve it? How can you make someone feel better to be, you know, I'm not a psychiatrist and I, I didn't go to school for that. And. It would be presumptuous to think that I can really help anyone do anything, but I do know how to make people smile and I do know how to listen and I can hopefully have a small amount of questions that will unplug people from their grief long enough that they can reflect and realize that maybe things aren't as bad as they think they are and then we can share a moment and move on from there. Sure, sure. The, the hospitality venue and the bartender are very much kind of like stationary things and people. And then you get this influx of folks that you have no control over who walks through the doors. And so you're right. It really is a puzzle trying to figure out the approach that's right for each person that walks through that door. Yeah. And, and see, hospitality doesn't even like, doesn't even seem like a, the word's not big enough. The hospitality just doesn't even touch what we really do. It's, it's compassion. It's love. You want to know what we do? We love and we forgive. And then we try to understand and we listen and we love again. And that's what it is. It's not fucking hospitality. It's bigger than that. It's way bigger than that. And there's a glass of whiskey next to you while you're doing it. And I, right. I, I can't think of a better note to wrap up on. Um, so, Pedro, can you just uh, give our listeners the best way to find you, uh, Seven Grand, and your podcast? Sure. Well, to find the podcast, you can go to any of your preferred platforms. We're under Spirit Guide Society Podcast.com. That's our website. Uh, but yeah, if you search Spirit Guide Society on whatever platform of podcasts you get, you should be able to find us really easily, I hope. And then here downtown, we've got uh, four single spirit bars, and we do Monday nights Whiskey Society here at Seven Grand, Tuesday nights the Rum Society. 
over at Kanye, which is what you're going to be doing with us tonight. We're going to actually have a Whiskey Society and a Rome Society tonight. And then we're running over to Las Perlas on Wednesday nights for the Mezcal Collective. So that's just here in L.A. We also have Seven Grand down in San Diego. And so they're doing they're doing two or three events a week down there. People in San Diego love their whiskey. It's a great beer town. And now the, the whiskey fire is really starting to take off. Yeah, and I was then, at the Repeal Day Ball um, in Washington, D.C. And I believe one of the, the bars that they brought in as the best bar in America, uh, right next to PDT, was from San Diego. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's it's amazing what's going on down there. It's a best kept secret on the West Coast. Don't tell anybody about San Diego. Um, <laughs> San Diego. Um, and then there, we have a, a Seven Grand and a Las Perlas in Austin now. And, uh, and so that's really, uh, really, really cool. That means we're doing Mezcal Collective. And uh, Tom Kerner, who's our spirit guide out there, is running the Whiskey Society and the Mezcal Collective out there. So... Now, most recently, we just opened Seven Grand in Denver. So now you can deepen your whiskey education into Seven Grand in four different cities. So L.A., Denver, Austin, and San Diego. Mm-hmm. If there's listeners in any of those cities, this is an a lo- opportunity for you to go live to these events. So please do look up these you know various institutions online. Drop in for a drink and, and uh, ask your bartender how you can attend the next Whiskey Society or Mezcal Society or Rum Collective. <laughs> That's right. We're easy to find. You can look for us. So just if you Google Seven Grand or Las Perlas or Kanye Rumbar, you should be able to find us release. And we'll have links to everything we talked about on the show notes page over at modernbarcart.com forward slash podcast, including the book titles that we mentioned and uh, just links to everything else we can get our hands on. So Pedro, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me, man. And I can't wait to do a little swap of content so people can check out your guys stuff on our little channel absolutely cheers cheers man thank you Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, there's two big things you can do for us here at Modern Bar Cart. One would be to tell your friends and family if you think they'd enjoy listening to us talk about cocktails. And if they don't download podcasts, they can always stream our episodes on their desktop directly from the show notes page at modernbarcart.com. The other thing you can do to help would be to head on over to iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts and leave us a review. Five stars are great, but we're more interested in your feedback. And the beauty is, the more reviews we have, the easier it will be for other folks out there to learn about our show. We're trying to start a cocktail revolution here, and by spreading the word, you're helping us fight the good fight. You can always reach us by emailing podcast at modernbarcart.com if you're looking for cocktail or bartending advice, or if you're a pro who would like to pull up a mic and be interviewed for all to hear. Also, definitely follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Modern Bar Cart for cocktail porn, recipes, and entertaining tips. And keep an eye out for new product releases and special offers, which are happening all the time. We love our listeners and we really enjoy giving you exclusive discounts and sneak peeks at our latest and greatest cocktail projects. This episode may be over, but for you, the mixological fun and adventures are just beginning. So remember folks, drink responsibly and experiment boldly. This episode was made possible with editing and production assistance by Samantha Reed, flavor insights and a comparative whiskey tasting by Pedro Shanahan, and a little bit of interview magic by yours truly. This has been a Modern Bar Cart production, copyright 2019.